Good morning. Great to see everybody here. Wish I could look through that camera and see everybody there, but uh, the Lord sees you, and He sees us, and we gather in His name here today. I am uh, uh, privileged to stand before you and open God's Word, and I hope that God will answer my prayers, which is that He would greatly use this message in the culture and the life of our, of our congregation. Uh, we are wrapping up a series that we've been doing this summer entitled Discover, Following Jesus at, at Bethel Church. And one of the reasons we've done this is that the, uh, I think the, all the things going on in, in our culture and the pandemic, etc., it can easily get confused as to like, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? What does the Bible call me to do? How do I do that in a season like this? And so we started about uh, the fact that the, the foundation of our church is the Bible, the Bible at Bethel Church. And here we are opening God's Word today as an indication of our commitment to the Bible as the, as the, uh, uh, as the foundation of all that we believe. The church is called to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. We do not want to compromise at all on our belief about the Bible as God's Word. We've talked about uh, worship and, and uh, mission and service and uh, Today we're going to get into uh, community and fellowship, but before I do that, I want to let you know, I'm going to give you a little uh, heads up on something. In two weeks, we are going to get back into Romans. Looking forward to that. We're going to be back into Romans, and we're going to be in Romans 13. Little did we know when we started the series two and a half years ago that it would land us uh, at, in the text that we're going to be in at the time that we're going to be to be in it. Uh, here is what Romans 13, just here's verse 1 to give you an idea. It says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Could anything be more relevant right now with all of the arguing and the debating about so many things and the role of the government right now. So we have before us the clearest teaching about the role of government in all of the Bible is Romans 13, and we're going to be getting into that here in uh, two, two weeks. So, uh, and we're going to sit on that text for a while, um, especially in an election year as well. Not a bad time to be talking about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of man. All right, so our subject today, community, community, and our church's vision for what this church community should look like. And in a, in a strange irony, there has likely never been a season in our lifetime where we have craved community more than we do right now. Because when something, you know, it's like the song, uh, how's it go? I, uh, you don't know what you've, you're missing until it's gone. There's a lyric like that. I forget what it is right now. Somebody tell me after the service probably. But uh, the, the, the sense of that being absent from us only makes us long for it all the more. To be with God's people, to gather together. There's, you know, this past four months, it's been this massive disruption in the normal rhythm of of, of Christian life and Christian community and church community and, and ministries that we're involved in and things that we're doing that uh, feed our spiritual life. As you know, as a church, we've been doing our best to try to adapt to the shifting landscape of, uh, of the pandemic, and we have been trying to follow government mandates and trying to follow 
medical direction. But the tension we feel in the midst of this only highlights the importance of Christian relationships and Christian community and Christian fellowship. I hear this from people sometimes. They, they say this, I just want to hug somebody. Like even the social distancing thing, I think we feel this sort of awkward, like, am I shaking your hand? Am I bumping your elbow? And then you got the hugger types who they're like, you know, they're going through some kind of uh, serious problem right now. They haven't hugged anybody in four months. I just want to hug somebody. Why is that revealing? Because our hearts, by God's design, are made for interpersonal relationships. And when those are absent, we feel lonely. We feel the distance. God never wants, wanted us to be socially distant. No, he wants us to be viscerally close to others. And the absence of it shows how important it is to the body. I was thinking about just our physical body as an example of this as well. There are certain nutrients and vitamins that you have to have or your body gets really weird diseases. So scurvy is the lack of vitamin C. And rickets is the lack of vitamin D. And similarly, our spiritual lives get weird diseases when things that God intended to nourish us are not a part of our life. And a huge part of God's design for the nourishing of our spiritual lives is life-on-life community with other believers. Our text today is Acts chapter 2. And as you get there, I'm going to give you the backstory of Acts chapter 2. So we start in Acts chapter 1. Technically, we could go to the end of Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and uh, we have the resurrection of Jesus. And Acts picks up the story at the Mount of Olives as Jesus gathers with his disciples and gives them the admonition that you shall be my witnesses throughout the earth. And then he ascends to heaven in a cloud, and angels appear and say, he's coming back just like he left. They identify a replacement for Judas. His name is Matthias, which brings us to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, there they are. They've gathered in that same upper room, the same room where they had uh, the last Lord's Supper, the same place they went after the resurrection when they didn't know what was going on. There they are gathered in that upper room, the disciples and others. And all of a sudden, a tornado hits the upper room. And that tornado was the coming of the Holy Spirit. We call it Pentecost. It was the Feast of Pentecost that was going on at that time. And the Holy Spirit came down as Jesus promised and came upon those disciples. The noise was such that everybody in Jerusalem came running going, what is going on? What was that sound? And they arrived there and the disciples began to talk to them. Now it was the Feast of Pentecost. There were people from all over uh, the world at that time. And they're astounded because the disciples are talking to them in their native tongues. Not the disciples' native tongues, but the tongues of all these different uh, uh, geographies that these people had come from. And they're like, what's going on? Some people think they're drunk. Some people don't know what's going on. Peter stands up and says, this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And, and, and by the way, the Jesus that you crucified, he is Lord and Savior of all who trust and believe in him. And the Bible says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the the people were struck to the heart. And they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 people on the very first day respond to the gospel and trust in Jesus. So you have 
You know, interesting there, uh, the first day of the church, you have the 12 disciples and 3,000 baby Christians. And they're, they're still dripping from their baptisms, and they say to the disciples, now what? <laughs> now what? And uh, the now what is what verse 42 picks up in the story. What did that first church, the early church, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, at the direction of the apostles who are pastoring the church, what did they, what did they do? Look at verse Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wouldn't you like to have been there? What a time. I mean, there's just people coming to faith. The, the, the apostles are teaching. The Holy Spirit is just... People are, miracles are happening, and the whole, the whole community, the whole city, it says, is in awe of these Christians and what God is doing in the church. And we note today, for the purpose of our study today, we know today the instant and unexplainable commonality and unity that this, these 3,000 plus people who didn't know each other came from different parts of the world, spoke different languages, instantly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a unity, indeed there is a community that is established amongst these Christians. Now, you might look at this and say, well, this would be amazing to be a part of this. Well, notice a few things here. As much as you like, maybe like the sound of the generosity that was going on here as people are just, you know, they're selling this and that and they're giving it to the church and church is distributing to those that have need. As much as you might like the sounds of that generosity, would you be ready to sell your house, your field, your car to be a part of it? In other words, other people's generosity tends to be more exciting than, than necessarily the requirement for us to be generous in such a way. If you keep reading, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who sold a piece of property and said, we're giving all of the proceeds from it, but they secretly held some back. What happened to them? The Holy Spirit struck them dead. Now, maybe right now you're thinking, ah, maybe I wouldn't want to be around during that time. And now you understand verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. That word for awe, it's the word phobia in the Greek. Phobos, phobia, fear. There was a supernatural power that had invaded the city of Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, through the disciples, and through this church. And the sense of it there in that community was that there was a, 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 a reverence that people felt for the disciples, imagine, you know, here they come. You know, oh, it's Peter. Oh, look, it's John. 
Are you a Christian? Oh, tell me about that. I'm hearing so many things. There was a palatable power and therefore a wonder and awe amongst everyone, and there was a uniting of the Christians within gospel community. Now, you look at that and you say, oh, that'd be so awesome, right? But again, if, if, if people start dropping dead after we take the offering, is that a church you want to be a part of? I ask you the question. And so we see in this that following Jesus in the early church was a joy, but it was a sober joy. It was a serious joy. And I lay Acts 2 before you as a paradigm for our vision of what Christian community within Bethel Church could and should look like. And verse 42 specifically gives us the outline. Notice again, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now our focus today is on the fellowship, but just to note, you're like, you should look at verse 42 and say, that sounds like a series of teaching I've heard this summer. Because what have we basically talked about in our, this is the kind of church we wanna be series? Well, we began with the word of God, which is what? The apostles' teaching and others. We, we've talked about worship and a life to the glory of God, and we've talked about mission and gospel and spreading, and I mean, Hopefully you see in verse 42, this is our church aligning with the basic paradigm of the early church regarding what Christianity looks like. Now our focus today is on fellowship, okay? Fellowship. Oh, I forgot one thing I wanna add. Notice the word devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, et cetera, et cetera, okay? This, in other words, this was not sort of a casual gathering that you sort of you know, worked into your schedule if you could, you know, like the, the, the Shriners Club or something like that. No, this was a, there was a devotion. The word means intense effort over time. There was a sense of, a high sense of commitment amongst these people to the church and what was going on by the power of the gospel. Should we stop right there and ask this question? How would Luke describe the culture of our church and the degree of effort our people put to church life? Would the Holy Spirit ever say about Bethel Church and they devoted themselves? Might it, for some, possibly be a little bit more like they were involved themselves when it was convenient? They involved themselves when they uh, could they gave effort occasionally. They tried to work it in around other priorities. Would Luke describe Bethel Church, they devoted themselves? I asked myself that question as far as being a leader here. Am I devoted like this? How would you describe your own devotion? Just know this is our aim. Our aim would be a church-wide devotion to the church as we see here. Now notice what they devoted themselves to. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Okay, so prayer is somewhat self-defining. Breaking of bread, this is, this is either like the breaking of bread and having meals together, or it's the Lord's Supper, or probably it's both, because the early church would practice what was known as the agape feast, where they would have a meal together, think of terms of like a big potluck, 
And the highlight of that time would be then they would have communion together. And so it, it could be both of those at work here. We're not exactly sure. But clearly they are eating together. They are fellowshipping over a meal. And then we have this word fellowship. And this is where we're going to sit for the rest of our time here. Fellowship. What is fellowship? The root of the word is common. Okay? Common. It's, it's, it's a relationship built upon something that you have in common. Uh, we see this later in verse 44. It says they had all things in common. God's amazing grace, his transforming work in my life, means that now I am in a kind of powerful unity and solidarity with other people who have similarly trusted in Jesus. And this unity we see in the early church, it, it transcends barriers in society. So we have, you know, of course in the story of Acts, you have the story of the expanding mission of God to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles and indeed to the uttermost parts of the world. It's basically the outline of the Great Commission that Jesus gave is the story of Acts. But all of these, you know, barriers and these preferences and race differences and background differences, the model of the early church, and this is something we need to learn from, was that they took those things and they made them secondary to the primary thing, which is Jesus Christ. We might say it this way. In the church, our relationships are all about him. They're all about him. And that's what unites us together. It's not that we like the same things or shop at the same stores or you know, we uh, come from the same lineage or something like, no. Our unity is in Jesus Christ. And that's what Christian fellowship is. So let's define fellowship. This word has been so muddied and misused over time. What is Christian fellowship? Well, here's some good definitions. Christ-centered mutual affection and action, which includes everything from joining in worship to conversations, meals, working together in all the activities of the Christian community. I like that one, okay? That's pretty good. Here's another one. New Testament fellowship involves the sharing of the Christian life with other followers of Christ, talking about the things of God with each other, telling and hearing testimonies of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, serving the Lord and his people together, worshiping God and praying as one people, extending to and receiving from one another the love of Christ. These are the fibers of the fabric of fellowship. And now here's my definition. Sharing in word or action what we share in Christ. When you really just distill it down to its essence, it is sharing in word or action what we share in Christ. And the reason this is important to understand is that fellowship, it's a spiritual thing, okay? It's a spiritual thing. It is a, it is a relationship that is created by the gospel of Jesus. And I say this because so often we use the word fellowship in the church, and we, what we mean by that is the little chit-chat that we have before or after the gathering of the church. And in the chit-chat, we could talk about this or that, but as long as it's chit-chat at church, it counts as fellowship. Now, if you add donuts to the mix, man, that is like, that's true Christian fellowship. You drop donuts into a gathering of Christians, now we're fellowshipping. 
Is that what fellowship is? Standing around talking about your job, the Bears game, the weather. Now, is there anything wrong with talking about those things? Or even eating donuts? Okay, that one's a little debatable. All right, we'll get on that. That's a little debatable. But is there anything? No, that's just being human and sharing about our lives, etc. But don't step back and go, that's fellowship. Because fellowship is spiritual. It's based on the gospel. If you can do it with an unbeliever, it's not fellowship. And you can talk bears all day with your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus. And that's fine. That's friendship. That's neighborliness. And we, we want that too. But don't step back and go, man, I was fellowshipping with him. No. No, you were not. Why? First John 1. Indeed, our fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light, this is now verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, the basis of our relationship and this commonality, this fellowship with one another, is the mutual relationship that we have with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. It is the vertical that creates the horizontal. Which means that if I am in fellowship with God through his son, Jesus, I am instantly also in fellowship with everybody else who is also in fellowship with God. Illustrate it this way. Many of you know my father-in-law was a Major League Baseball player. And his story was that he, I got the years here, he played for the Minnesota Twins from 1973 to 1977. But before the 1978 season, he uh, entered into conversations with the Kansas City Royals and ended up signing a contract with the Kansas City Royals and played for the, with them for a uh, few years. He entered into, follow this now, he entered into a relationship with that organization. And the moment that he signed his name to the contract, not only was he in relationship with the organization and the owners, he was instantly also in relationship with everybody else who had signed a contract with the ownership. And what do they call that? They call it a team. A team. A group of people who are united because they are all individually united with, in our case, God. Now there's so much we could talk about with this, about what it means to be in union with one another because you're in union with God and, you know, does this mean I'm, 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 in, I'm in unity with everybody who agrees with me on every single jot and tittle of doctrine? I mean, I, I, it comes to my mind right now, Erwin uh, Lutzer tells this story about, you know, these two guys that meet along the street and, and the one guy says to the other one, hey, are you a Christian? He goes, yeah. Uh, he said, well, what kind of Christian Baptist? What kind of Baptist? He says, you know, Northern Baptist. Which convention, you know, 1873 or, or 1876? 1873, so am I! Uh, within that convention, though, did you approve of Amendment A, B, and C from the 1923, uh, you know, forum on this, that, or the other? 
Yes, so did I, you know. Okay, but were you in this? Uh, but what about the 1956 uh, forum where they decided this little particular thing? Yes, so did I. But what about in 1973 when the subset footnote 333 in the, you know, the, uh, what, did you, what was your position on that? It was, it was this. He goes, die, heretic. I wish I would have put that in my notes. I didn't have the story exactly right, but I love that story because it shows how easily we, we miss the fact that if we're united in Jesus, we're united with each other. If I'm going to be in heaven with you someday, that means on earth I'm united with you. And that gives a, a graciousness and a breadth of Christian love towards other Christians who may not exactly look at things the way that we do or practice things the way that we do, but if they're in relationship and fellowship with God, I am in relationship and fellowship with them. The team, the church. People in a church are a team. Not because we're committed to one another. That can come and go. We're a team, we're united because we are committed to God through his son Jesus. And since God isn't going anywhere, that is a relationship that can endure. There is a durability when it's based on the vertical. When churches try to unite around something other than that, some social cause, some particular little sort of secondary doctrine that makes them their thing, they won't last long. But when we see these relationships as vital because we have a shared, eternal relationship with God through Jesus, that's a basis for a long-term, long-suffering relationship with other Christians. And I say that because, listen, friends, issues come and go. Viruses come and go. Politicians come and go. Pastors Come and go. But God isn't going anywhere. And our commitment to him means that we have an ongoing commitment to one another. J.I. Packer, who just passed away, I could just stop and talk about J.I. Packer for a while, what a blessing his writings have been in my life. But here's his word on fellowship. Fellowship is a sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about himself in hope that we may thus help them to know him better and so enrich their fellowship with him. Fellowship is secondly a seeking to share what God has made known of himself to others as a means of finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for one's own soul. Praise God for J.I. Packer. And that's a good word for us. So, so with that said, Okay, what is fellowship? Sharing in, uh, in word or deed what we share in Christ. Let's talk about what that means here. Like what are we aiming for here? What does community look like at Bethel Church? Here's a few things. Number one, we get together. We get together. Look at the text again. And all who believed were together. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Did you know the word church means gathering? It means assembly. We are not a church because we gather. We gather because we are a church. P. 
people online in the building people are really dropping the ball and amening key points. I'm sure you did at home, but I heard nothing here in the room with that. But can I say that again? It's like my favorite line in this whole sermon. We aren't a church because we gather. We gather because we're a church. Okay? All right. There is a kind of magnetic spiritual pull that when I have the Holy Spirit within me, that draws me to want to engage with other Christians. This is what I think made April and May so terrible for us as a church, when all we were was online. We didn't have anything else. Now in June, we started opening the door. It's gotten a little better. Outdoor services happening now, getting better all the time. But why do we care about this? I mean, why not just go, let's just go all digital. Why would we be up in arms about that? Because in the DNA of Christian fellowship is a magnetic pull towards one another. Now you might say, well, I feel a little more pull towards some people than others. Okay. (laughs) But we have this desire within us. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it. Famous verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if you read through Hebrews 10, like Hebrews 6, it's one of the most powerful warning chapters in all the Bible about apostatizing and, or walking away from the faith. What is one of the countermeasures to that happening? Getting together with other Christians. And the assumption is, by the way you see in the text there, the assumption is that it's not just me being in proximity with other Christians. No, we're communicating with one another in a way that is encouraging. We are spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. The net effect of getting together should be that. Now, if everybody comes to church and everybody's looking for the other person to stir them up to love and good deeds, then it's not going to happen. This has got to be a mutual thing. Okay, we don't come here as consumers like I'm going to Best Buy. No, I'm coming here as a Christian. And I'm coming here with the desire to encourage and be encouraged. To, to talk. To talk about spiritual things. And this is another area that I think we need to grow in. If I, if I tiptoed through the commons before and after services and listened to the content of what's being talked about, I often... I would say it's stuff that you would talk with anybody about. And there's a place for that, okay? It's not like we're throwing down, okay, only spiritual things are allowed to be talked about here. But I think we need more of that, okay? More of that. And a lot of that requires us to become better at asking the right questions. What's our default? Hey, how's it going? Good. How's it going for you? Good. And now you have the moment. A little cool today, isn't it? Cloudy. My yard, though, man, I loved the rain last night. Yeah. How's it going at work? Good. How about you? Fine. Good seeing you. Good fellowshipping with you. We need to cultivate better question asking. 
okay? To draw out of each other things that are of a more spiritual nature. So for example, how's God working in your life these days? Okay, that's not super, like, scary. What's God been teaching you lately? What, hey, what have you been reading in the Bible lately? Have you read anything profitable? Man, I need it. Come on, give me something. Any advice for us trying to parent our kids spiritually right now? You've been through it, man. We'd love to hear from you. On and on. These are the kinds of things that, that take the conversation from the chit-chat to the, to the level that Hebrews 10 is talking about where we're feeling actually spiritually uplifted, spiritually challenged, spiritually enriched. If it's the kind of conversation you can have at any local bar, that's not what the writer of Hebrews was aiming for. Okay? And this is, here's the thing. The church is uniquely the place where we have an actual basis of relationship that we can share our joys and, by the way, our sorrows too. That we can share and laugh and love and we can do all of this in the safety of a relationship that we know is an eternal union. Realize that. These relationships that we have are relationships that are going to go on forever and ever and ever. I find that with being married. One of, the best, one of the best things about being married is the safety that you have with talking about things, being vulnerable with somebody who isn't going anywhere. Like, she is so stuck with me. So therefore, here's just kind of what I'm thinking. Blah. And I don't have to worry about her walking away. This is a relationship that's going to go on. And in the church, it's the same. Like, we're in this forever and ever. Okay. So the culture of vulnerability and of sharing our hearts and our troubles, this should be the safest place on the planet to do that. So here's where we're at right now. We have online services every Sunday. We have in the building services um, with mass during singing every Sunday. We have outdoor services every Sunday. And can I just say this? If you can, attend a service. We got something for pretty much everybody here. No matter where you are and all the debates and all of that, we got something for you. And if you're watching online, praise God that you're watching online, but I don't want you online to think to yourself, this is New Testament Christianity. Because look at Acts 2, and look at the online experience. And we're thankful for the technology, man, saved. It was wonderful that we could do that at least, especially early on with all of this. But I don't want our culture here to somehow view that as being an acceptable version of New Testament Christianity. Because it's just not, okay, it's not. And so, if you feel comfortable and if you feel, you know, like with your health and all that, come to a service. Being with one another is New Testament Christianity. So we get together, okay? We get together. We're get together type folks here. Secondly, we devote ourselves to one another. Again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. 
Okay, what what does that look like? Well, we read, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That sounds like devotion, doesn't it? Okay, it's one thing to say I'm devoted to one another, but when you're opening your pocketbook, when you're writing a check, when you're selling the car, whatever, okay, this is devotion. These people are devoted to one another. Which leads then to the third, what it looks like. And I just call it street-level love. Street-level love. There are many people that they read Acts 2, and I think I've done this in the past, and I've thought, oh, that our church would be like Acts 2. And we romanticize what it was like in the early days of the church. Like, everybody was on fire, and there were no problems, and nobody was arguing about things. We were seeing miracles and getting to hear the apostles preaching, and man, it would be so great when everything was great and everyone was happy in the early church. And yet you keep reading in the story, you get to Acts 6, and there's widows that aren't being uh, ministered to, and there's division in the church about that. And you keep reading in the story, and uh, the, 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 the uh, apostles are struggling to understand the scope of God's vision. There's doctrinal division in the church. You get to chapter 8, and the Ethiopian eunuch uh, and the Samaritans now are receiving Jesus. And you have Cornelius the Gentile. And you see in the early church, there's so much that's changing and morphing. And yet in the midst of it, there's people that have needs. I mean, it's a, one thing to say, it's great to sell a piece of property and to meet a need. But realize, there were people with needs in the early church. Widows and people struggling and all of that. This was not a panacea, a pastoral panacea. And yet, in spite of all of that, the church loved each other with devotion right down to meeting practical needs. Question, how did they know who was in need? People were being vulnerable about their needs. People were being authentic about their situation. And this is an underlying principle of great churches And that is that people can be authentic. They can be real about their life. I've heard it said this way, a church is a place where it's okay not to be okay as long as you don't want to stay that way. It's okay to not be okay as long as you don't want to stay that way. The church is indeed a place for messed up people. And if we were all honest, we're all dealing with challenges. We're dealing with hurts. We're dealing with worries. If if even the hearts in this room right now could be open and vulnerable, we had an open mic session here, the things that we would hear that are being dealt with right here just in this room would be astonishing. And we aspire to that here at Bethel. And I I just wish if there was some way I could pastorally inject into uh, the church something that would rid us of the uh, sort of pretending, pretentious, sort of like, I'm good, we're good, we're all good, and allow us to be real with each other. So let's be done with the I'm good, you're good, we're all good, good, good. If we could just get rid of that around here, what a better church we would be. The more real, the better our fellowship. And that's another thing, and my time is flying by here, but 
you know, we typically think that I want to project my strengths to other people, and if I project my strengths to other people, that will make them then sort of admire me and accept me. And yet, what is true about people who project their strengths to us? We walk away feeling what? Better? No, smaller. But when somebody is authentic, when they share a struggle, when they share a weakness, when they share a vulnerability, how do we walk away from that? We feel tenderized towards them. We feel compassion towards them. We feel actual relationship with them. Now, that's not the American way, I know, but it's the Christian way. Again, if I could just sort of inject a whole bunch of that into our, we'd be a better church. Help us do that, could you please? With a big attempt at vulnerability with one another. Again, online, they missed it, but I hope you're amending at home. All right, last thing is this. I'm calling it circles, not lines. Circles, not lines. Quickly, we believe fellowship is not sitting in the same auditorium with other Christians staring at the backs of their heads, sit, sitting in very organized seating. Christian fellowship is a circle, probably a small circle, and doing that regularly. Now, we call these small groups around here. We have a whole small group ministry where we attempt to get people out of lines and into circles where they can share and love and do the one another's of the New Testament. We organize these somewhat by affinities and stage of life or gender or age, but the goal is circles. And I want to ask you today, are you in a circle? Now, this doesn't have to be an official small group of the church, okay? But everybody needs a circle, a group of people, fellow Christians, within which you are having a authentic relationship where you are praying for one another, where you are serving one another, where you are caring for one another. You're like, I don't have that. Well, I've got good news for you. I have a link that you need to go to and to dip your toe in the water with Christian fellowship. Here it is, bethelweb.org forward slash connect. You go to that, there's a way for you to just dip your toe in the, in the water. Some of you need to dive in, but there's a place that you can go to check that out. But that's a circle, okay? Circles, not lines. You can come to a, an auditorium, you can sit in the auditorium, you can do the whole thing, you can walk out the door, but you can't get in the car and say, boy, that was a great day of fellowship. You can't do it. Not if you don't talk to somebody, not if you don't share with somebody. So we try to get people into circles for that to happen. Okay, big picture now. Here comes the plane in for the landing. Big picture is the cultivating in our church of fellowship and Christian community. Now you might say, like what? Well, how about like Acts 2 as a starting point? Look at the result of their dedication to one another. Here's how it ends. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You might say, was it the miracles that did it? Yes. Was it the apostles preaching that did it? Yes. But most certainly part of what did this was the way that these Christians had relationship and commonality with one another. And that is very attractional even to an unbeliever. It is itself a witness, and it led many people to believe in Jesus. Many were added to their number. 
Friend today, listening or here in the room, I want to ask you, have you been added to the number? Okay. Don't view this as merely a, an exercise in gaining knowledge, something about biblical uh, fellowship. At the bottom line, the question is, have you been added to the number? If, if, if the apostle, uh, or if Luke was writing this about Bethel Church, would he include you in that number? Does God include you in that number? And if not, why not trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Just like they were doing by the thousands in Jerusalem. You say, how? Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And begin a lifelong following of Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and King. And with that, I pray that God would cultivate more and more a culture in our church where the result is praising God, favor with the people, and the Lord adding to our number those who are being saved. May God do it, and may we play our part in that.